0: Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you would like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharingChurch.com. Now we hope you learned from and enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles, your devices. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, new series starting today. Thank you, Brandon. So we're going through 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to do the first 15 verses today. And uh, I am, again, I said it last week, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be a part of a church who is doing this, who's walking through books of the Bible, learning and studying together. Um, my prayer is that the Lord, through his word, the power of his spirit through his word would just... Um, speak to us today. Hey, if we could bring the lights up just a little bit um, so we could see our Bibles, uh, that would be good. We're old and so we're going to need some light here. Uh, but we'll be in 2 Peter chapter 1 today. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're starting this new series called Make Every Effort. Dallas Willard is an author, theologian. He's a pastor for a bit of time. And in one of his books, he makes the statement that grace is opposed to Grace is opposed to earning, it's not opposed to effort. I think sometimes what happens for us as followers of Jesus is uh, because we've been given so much, lavishly given uh, by God, that sometimes then we leave effort outside. And so we don't work hard, we don't strive at knowing him more deeply, we think it's all just kind of going to happen to us. Peter is gonna make the point here in 2 Peter, that's not true. He's gonna use words like be diligent, make every effort with all diligence. He's gonna make statements like that. So what it's gonna require of us, what Peter's telling us is, yes, we've been saved by grace through faith. We've been saved, not a work of our own, lest any man should boast. Yet at the same time in Philippians chapter two, he would tell us to work out our own salvation. Now I wanna walk through some of that because some of you type A people, you're about that right now. Like, yeah, give me tasks to do. I'll make a checklist, I'm gonna gonna get this done, I'm gonna get this book and this devotional. How many of you have completed devotionals on your bookshelf? Anybody have those? Yeah, yeah, you do. And you're proud of it, aren't you? That's why it's on your bookshelf. You could have thrown them away, you're done with them. But no, no, you're displaying them like your high school sports trophies. They're just, they're there for everyone to see. Some of you have done Revelation and you've told everybody about that. You've studied Revelation, right? Then there are some of us who, man, that's just not our cup of tea. Like, we aren't, we aren't driven that way. We aren't driven by success and accomplishment. And so we don't have those types of things. But you know what we do have? Is we have a lot of people who love us. And so we like that. We're gonna read here in 2 Peter more about what it means to actually follow Jesus. This is written just after he writes 1 Peter. Same, same guy, Apostle Peter, uh, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, followed Jesus for three and a half years. Uh, then stumbles and falls over and over again like many of us and then finds himself in this place where he's led a church and now he's trying to lead people into a deeper understanding of Jesus. Persecution is happening in the Roman provinces. He's writing this letter to those churches. It's a follow-up of 1 Peter. What we're gonna read here in a second, he knows that his time on this earth is short, that he's not much longer for this world. And so he writes with an intensity that's even greater than it was in 1 Peter. I mean, just a... It's urgent what he's saying to them. There have been some false teachers that have come into the churches in the midst of suffering. And this is, I think this is when a lot of, of stuff happens. A lot of false teaching arises when they're suffering because we have to make sense of it with our minds. And with our minds, with human logic, the teaching that comes out of that is false. And it's rising to the surface at these churches. And so Peter writes to these people that he loves dearly who he's led through some struggle and persecution and suffering already. And he now, at his last few years of his life, he reminds them of what it actually means to follow Jesus, that they're in danger of being tossed to and fro by the changing waves and winds of culture, but they need to root themselves and ground themselves fully. And so he writes this letter to them. There's an urgency to it, so I hope you feel it and hear it. Today, so let's read verses one through 15. I'm going to teach uh, a little bit at the end here then I want to go back through it and really pick apart what Peter is saying. First, or second Peter, chapter two, verse one. Simeon or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted us all to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us or granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Underline that circle it, we'll come back to it having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort. Very creative with our sermon or series titles. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right. As long as I am in this body to stir you up, to provoke you by by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Peter's saying, I know know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave this earth soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is Peter's farewell letter. And he's saying, I'm gonna be diligent. I'm gonna make every effort in this letter to write it in such a way and uh, with such power and urgency and clarity that you can come back to this letter over and over again. This is what he's saying. I want this to be, seminal in your understanding of who God is, particularly in seasons of suffering. So I'm gonna be diligent. I'm gonna work hard at this letter. So he writes this letter to these people undergoing persecution under Emperor Nero. His life is at the the end. It's at the, the tail end of his life here on earth. And he writes this letter to them. So before we dig into it, again, we're gonna talk about a few things. So he's, he's setting some stage here that we're gonna have to cover to make sure we're on the same page when we move forward in this. And so how I wanna get us on the same page is by talking about a 90s folk hero, MacGyver. Anybody remember MacGyver? Any of you ladies remember MacGyver? MacGyver, right? Uh, so MacGyver uh, was this guy um, who just knew everything about everything. He's what all of us think we are, but we're really not as men. I mean, he, before Wikipedia, he knew everything. He knew how to make things out of other things that were, seemed inconsequential. He could take a hockey ticket, a paperclip, and a bubblegum wrapper, and he could blow up the Empire State Building. This is what he was. This is who he is. Uh, he, could get, uh, he could get a, a rubber band and three, three Skittles, and he could take down the Taliban. This is who MacGyver was just random things in, in uh, some woman's purse and he could put it all together and he could make incredible things out of it. This is what MacGyver did. And it's, it's, he just, he took what he had in front of him and he took things that had a different intended purpose, but he used them for some other kind of purpose. And while I love MacGyver and I love the old MacGyver more than I love the new MacGyver, I would just say, amen to that. I would just say this, um, we are not called to MacGyver our faith. And here's what I mean by this. We have been created on purpose and with purpose. And we've been given things in this life, on this earth, on purpose and with purpose. But what happens far too often for us as followers of Jesus is we MacGyver things that are are for other purposes and we try to reorient them for some kind of purpose only to find ourselves failing at accomplishing the purpose we've set out to accomplish. We cannot MacGyver life. We cannot MacGyver our faith. We cannot MacGyver discipleship. We cannot uh, MacGyver being established and grounded in Jesus. So, I'm gonna take us back to Genesis. It won't be on the screen, but if you wanna turn there, you can. Genesis chapter one. Uh, My plan, Meredith and I, our family's plan is to be here for 25 or 30 years, and you're gonna learn, I love to go back to Genesis. I just think it's crucial. There's a reason it's the first book, there's the reason. There's a reason why it's there, and everything is built on this. And so back in Genesis chapter one, God creates uh, the heavens and the earth. Everything is as it should be. He creates it in six days, one, five days. And on the sixth day, he creates man and woman. And on the seventh day, he rests. Now, at the end of days one through five, God says it was good, which is a very Hebrew way of saying it is how it should be. This is what I intend. This is how I meant it to happen, which is a lot like how when you try to bake something that you see on Pinterest, it's what you say. This looks exactly like the picture I see on Pinterest. This tastes exactly like I thought it would. okay. Uh, so, I'm trying. You guys stay up watching a baseball game last night. I did. Go Braves. Uh, so, um, see, I don't know what's happening. Created in God's image, we get to day six, and now God finishes creation. And on the day six, and He says it was very good. So days one through five are good, right? They're good. But he creates man and woman and places them in the gardens. Now this is it. This is what I intended. Genesis 1:27 says that God created us in his image. Male and female, they created them in his image. So what that means is we've been created in the likeness of God. So to step away just a bit from that and try to give us an analogy, the idea then is that we have, uh, we have spiritual DNA within us. We are wired in a particular way in the image of God. This is from Genesis one. And he says it was very good at the end of that day. Everything is as it should be. And he tells them while you're in the garden, you can eat whatever you want. You can have any vegetation here. You can, you, can, um, you're, you, you are domineering over the livestock, over the animals and the birds of the air. They're all yours. Everything here is yours. Just do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's in the middle of the garden. Just don't eat from that. You can have everything else. And God says, it was perfect. It was as it should be. Genesis 3, then, if you want to turn there, you can just read through. I'm going to paraphrase. Genesis chapter 3, the enemy, Satan, in the form of a serpent, finds himself in the Garden of Eden. And we can have a whole theological discussion about why would he even be there. We can. But He's there. And he tempts Adam and Eve, Eve in particular, to disobey God, to go against God's sovereign design for their lives. And he does so by calling back to commands of God and making them question whether or not God is actually for them. This, essentially what Satan is saying to Adam and Eve is, you know God's holding out on you, right? Because if he really loved you, he'd give you everything. But it seems like there's one thing he won't give you, which must mean he doesn't actually love you. Which is another way of saying, hey, I think there's a better way to get what you want. Which goes against the Imago Day being created in the image of God. And the enemy says, hey, I think there might be a better way to get all the things that you want. So he tempts Eve, Eve eats from the fruit and gives um, that to Adam. Adam in his passivity then partakes and then we find ourselves now, just like Adam and Eve living in a broken world. Genesis three twenty four. God drives out the man and his wife and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So here's, this is God's grace and love. Adam and Eve now tasted death And the desire for them would be to come back and try to remedy that with the tree of life. But here's what God understands. If you come back and eat from the tree of life now, it's not that you get life in place of death, it's that you only get death for the rest of your life. Is that you would now be dying eternally. And so God places something in the way, a flaming sword that spins all around with a cherubim there to defend the tree of life, not to prevent them, but to protect them. But like Adam and Eve, we also desire the tree of life. We want to run back to try to fix what has been broken. We know we're broken. We know the world is broken. We know it is. We're broken. I'm broken. I know it and you know it. And so we desire to have it all fixed again. But the issue is that we believe the lie of the enemy, that there must be a better way. There must be a better way to have my soul restored, to have union with the Father, to feel content and happy and joyful and whole again. And so the first thing we do is that we assume the problem is someone or something else. When everything is broken, we aren't typically the kind of people who quickly accept responsibility for the brokenness in the world or in our family or in our marriage. We often blame someone else, don't we? Which takes us back to Genesis 3. It's what they did. Well, Eve blamed Adam and Adam blamed the serpent. So the first thing we do to try to restore things is that we blame somebody else. We attack and we fight, we leave, we betray, we gossip, we slander, we post, we meme, we hold grudges, we blame and we play the victim as a means of trying to appease the brokenness on our own hearts and souls. And I have a question for you today. How's that going for you? has blaming and playing the victim. Has that gone well for you? Has that been successful for you in trying to restore the brokenness in your soul? Has that gone well? If you're like me, it's gone terribly. Well, James four, James says this contemporary of Peter. He says, well, what causes the quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? What he's saying is you know what causes fights? You, you do. You know what causes problems? The brokenness in your heart. That's what does. Verse two, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions because your passions are at war within you. You adulterous people, you've left me. You've left what I had in store for you when you've chased something else. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What we have to realize is that in our attempts to take the world's means to get to God's ends, we're actually making ourselves enemies of God. You cannot MacGyver your way into wholeness. You cannot MacGyver your way into a flourishing life. You cannot MacGyver your way into salvation. You cannot MacGyver your way into a healthy marriage and healthy parenting. You can't. Because there's passions within us. So we cast blame and we attack and we meme and we post and then ultimately, by God's grace, sometimes we end on, okay, so maybe the problem is me. Maybe it's not him, maybe it's not her, maybe it's not that political group, maybe it actually is me. And so then what we do is now we look for an efficient path to restoration and wholeness. What's quick? How do we get ourselves there? And so what we do is we MacGyver it. Well, what do I have around me? What's in my purse? What's, what's in my toolkit? What do I have to make this happen? We take things meant for some other purpose and then we try to make it fill the emptiness and exhaustion inside of ourselves. So we take, sometimes we take awful things. We take drugs and alcohol and excessive exercise and dieting and and sex and knowledge and success. And and we take lust and we take all of these things to try to fill an emptiness in our souls. And again, the question is, how's that going for you? How's the bourbon going for you? Is that helping? I mean, I know it does for the evening, but in the morning, how's that headache? Is that helping you? How's the pornography? Is that helping? No, no. It's rotting your soul, and you know it, and I know it. But we take these things, but often what we do is we take good things meant for a purpose, and we try to use them and manipulate them, and we pair them with a stick of bubble gum and a paperclip, and we try to fix what's broken inside of us. We take good things like church and the Bible and family and friends, and we manipulate them to solve some brokenness and hurt and emptiness inside of us. And so the truth is, for a lot of us in the room today who have been the good Christian, who have played the good Christian game, discipleship has just been a tool for your own selfish endeavors. Your church attendance, your church service, your giving, your tithing, all of that is not about what it's meant to be about. Instead, it's about some way to make you feel good about yourself, some way to make you feel fulfilled It's become that for us. So we're gonna walk through some things for us, and I wanna set the stage for us before we get into this passage of what it means to actually follow Jesus. The way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is not a series of tasks to make you feel accomplished. Holiness is not a status you reach to make yourself feel better than other people. Holiness is not a status you reach to try to appease the brokenness in your own heart. No amount of personal holiness and personal dedication and devotionals will ever satisfy the deepest longing in your heart for relationship with the creator of the universe. Drugs won't do it. Pornography won't do it. And neither will your legalism. We are in a culture that's rooted in performance. And so, what faith has become for us is that salvation has been the end goal. But the problem is, biblically, salvation is not the end goal. Salvation is the starting point. And so, because we think we've accomplished salvation, we have nothing else to do. We have nothing else to earn. As long as my eternity is settled in heaven, then what does it matter what I do here on earth? And you, my friend, have just stumbled upon the greatest false teaching in the book of 2 Peter. You're saved, so do what you want. There's grace, so do what you want. But inside of us is a longing that will only be found full in Jesus. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, that God has put eternity into man's heart. So here's what that means. You and I have the Garden of Eden in our hearts and we have the kingdom of heaven in our hearts. We, like Adam and Eve, desire Eden, where things are good, where they are as they should be, but in brokenness, we've lost it. Now, we still crave it. We still desire it. Remember, the imago Dei, the image of God is still in our DNA. We still want it. We still, that's, what, that's what completes us and fulfills us, and we want that. We, we understand there's more to life than this, that there's something coming. Even the most, uh, the most vile sinner among us can tell you there's gotta be more to life than just this. There's gotta be more to life than World Series births. There's gotta be more to life than this. We have eternity written in our hearts. The old theologian, St. Augustine, said that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So as we study and make every effort, this is not a call to be a good Christian. I've played that game. I was saved at the age of five, grew up in the church. I crushed Awana, by the way, crushed it. I could memorize anything in 10 minutes and then forget it after the games. I could do that. I could quote all the verses then. I knew how to get the beanbag and get the orange pen. I, I knew, I knew how to do all those things. I knew how to say the right things and, and, and write and journal the right things. I knew how to give the youth pastor the answer he wanted when he asked me a question from scripture. I can do that. I can be a really, really, really good Christian. And yet I never knew the heart of God. This is not a call to be a good Christian. You type ayers. this is not a call to be a good version of yourself. This is not a call to accomplish and be better than the next person, and to succeed in following Jesus. It's not about this. This is a journey of being who God has called us to be, where we find life and freedom there. This is what this is. There's false teaching happening in 2 Peter. We'll get to it more in the coming weeks, but... Suffering had made people doubt the character and goodness of God, so they were vulnerable. So Peter writes this letter. They were teaching that Jesus is not returning. It's all a lie. He's not coming back. This life is all we have, so you might as well just enjoy it. Give yourself over to whatever you enjoy. God would want it that way, was the teaching. He won't care. Some would say, hey, just look at your circumstances. Look at the suffering around you. He wouldn't want you to live like this. So eat, drink, and be merry. This is the teaching happening around it, around this letter. And so Peter writes to the people and says, hey, this is what's true. And what you're being taught is that you're gonna find fulfillment other places. I'm gonna tell you you're not. And it's not because God wants full churches and good Christians. It's because God has a better plan for your life than you do. Because God knows you, because he wired you and made you. Because God is the creator of all things, including you. And at the end of the sixth day, he said, it was very good. He has a plan for your life and for my life. And I'm not talking about your career. I'm talking about your fulfillment in the finished work of Jesus Christ and relationship with him. So that's what this is about. Second Peter chapter one. Verse one, Simeon or Simon Peter. Now, Simon, Simeon was his birth name given to him by his mother. And you remember, Peter was the name given to him by Jesus. I shall call you Peter, which means pebble or rock. So Peter now refers to himself as Simon Peter. It's the end of his life. And here's what I think he's doing. I think what he's showing to the people here is, hey, I've had a journey from Simon to Peter. And as Simon, I thought I knew things. And as Simon, I thought I had my life. I thought I was gonna be a fisherman. I wasn't good enough to do anything else. I was gonna be a fisherman and make a lot of money. And I was gonna gonna fulfill that and carry on my father's career. And then he says, yeah, but I went from Simon and I became Peter, and you can too. And in becoming Peter, I have found fulfillment and wholeness in my life. I I think he's immediately pointing to growth, spiritual growth and discipleship. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained. That word obtained is important for us. This word means it's something that has been given. It's been received, not earned, but received. Who have received, who have been given a faith of equal standing with ours. And so now what he's saying is, hey, I'm an apostle, and yet my faith as an apostle is on the same level playing field as yours as a fisherman and yours as a stay-at-home mom, and yours as a firefighter, and yours as a teacher. My faith and your faith is the same, equal standing. How? By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Our faith has not come because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus, the right uh, standing before God of Jesus. Now, this, this is huge as we move forward. Because what's going to happen is the enemy is going to twist these words, and we're going to read, be diligent, make every effort, and you're going to work your tail off to earn salvation, and you cannot earn salvation. It's been given to you. It's a gift of God that's been given to you. There's nothing you can do. No, no church attendance, no singing, no Bible memorization, um, no radio station selection that will ever help you earn your salvation only by Jesus. So what he's saying here is we've been given this and you have the same one that we have. We have the same foundation of faith. Verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, grace and peace is a very common Jewish greeting, but here's what it boils down to. Grace and peace are the effects of salvation. Salvation. By the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he has shown us grace that we might be at peace. Grace and peace. Coincidentally, it's also the very thing our hearts are longing for. Adam and Eve knew they were broken. They needed grace. They knew that God had, what happened in their sin was that it separated their relationship with each other and with God, and they needed peace. The very things that you are striving for and that I am striving for, in whatever medium we've chosen today, what we're striving for is grace and peace. Peter says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you, may it be exponential to you, how or through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How do we get to grace and peace? the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of God and Jesus. This word knowledge in the Greek is the Greek word epigenosis. Genosis is the main word for knowledge. We'll hit that here in a little bit. But epigenosis is the idea of precise, intimate knowledge. How do you get to grace and peace? Well, this is how. By the precise, intimate knowledge of our God and Savior, Lord and Lord Jesus Christ. This is how is why I am hell-bent on teaching who God is to our souls. If we know that, we're going to be okay. When we get that wrong, everything falls apart. It's is foundational and core to who we are. How do we get to grace and peace? Well, it's multiplied through the knowledge, through the intimate, accurate knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse three, his divine power, the divine power of Jesus has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Which things? All things. You don't need to MacGyver it. He's given it all to you. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the epigenosis of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So here's the struggle for us. Many of us think we've accomplished something just by simply being a Christian. And I would say to you, you've accomplished nothing. But you've been given something. You're like the 11-year-old who thinks he bought his PlayStation. No, he didn't. Mama and daddy bought it. Or if you're lucky, grandpa bought it. We don't earn that. It's been given to Verse four. By which, by this knowledge and glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Do you understand what we have as followers of Jesus? You and I are partakers of the divine nature of God. What that means is the divinity and divine nature and power of God now lives in you and in me. And a few weeks ago, Chris McGowan talked about that passage in 1 Corinthians the idea that we are not just mere men anymore. We've been given the divine power of God, we are partakers in the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Do you understand that before you knew Jesus, you were a prisoner, a slave to sin? What that means is all we could do was sin. Everything we did was sin. You could be Mother Teresa and not know Jesus, and you would be the most vilest of sinners. We're told by Paul in the New Testament that even our righteousness was considered filthy rags before him. Before you knew Jesus, everything you did was sin. Everything. Helped an old lady across the street, sin. Gave to a missions organization, sin. All you could do was sin we were programmed and pre-wired to sin. Everything was sinful. And yet, when we've been saved and redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, now, for the first time in our lives, now you have a choice about sin. You no longer have to sin. By the power of the Spirit within us, now we have a choice when it comes to sin. This is what he's saying. You've escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. You know that we can win over sinful desire now. Why? Because we're partakers of the divine nature. This is what's been given to us. And not just to be good Christians, but because sin is not in God's sovereign plan for your flourishing. Do you get that? Sin has no benefit to you. And why would God want that for you? What he's saying is, you know, you know, you can choose not to sin now. And not because that makes you a good person, but because now you're closer to being who God has called you to be. Partakers of the divine nature. Verse five. Oh, I'm sorry, let me give you this quote from John Piper. He says, the Christian faith is not merely a set of doctrines to be accepted. It is a power to be experienced. So I don't know what you think you've done by ascribing to some kind of set of doctrines, but you're missing out. If you can give me chapter verse references of that and still haven't experienced the power of Jesus, you are missing out. Verse five, for this reason, for this very reason, because you've been given this power, because you've escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire, for this reason, make every effort. Some translations say, give all diligence. We would say, give it everything you've got. Because you've been rescued, because you're a partaker in the divine nature of God, because you've been given everything you need for godliness, because the power of God now rests in us, because you can choose to not sin anymore because of that, then do the best you can. Give it all you've got, is what he's saying. Again, we've got a little bit of an issue here because we get conflicted. You've been saved by grace through faith, and now we get to work our tails off to become the people God's called us to be. Again, not to grow pious, not to grow arrogant and prideful, but to actually experience what God has for us in this life. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This word fear is the awe and respect, right? So we we work out our own salvation, not someone else's salvation, yours. Not your wife's salvation, not your kid's salvation. You work out your own salvation, not your mom and dad's salvation, your salvation. You work it out with fear, with respect, and awe oh, man, I. Okay, out of that respect. But then this word trembling is amazing. How many of you played high school sports? Or at least tell your kids you did. Any of you? Or you played college sports, whatever. Do you remember that feeling in the locker room before maybe the first game of the season or maybe a championship game or a tournament game or maybe it's just homecoming or it's a rivalry? You remember that feeling when it's like you're in the locker room and you're listening to Sandy Patty or whatever else gets you pumped up and you're... uh, you're, uh well, whatever it is, and you're listening there, and you know that feeling when you can't stop your leg from shaking? You know that feeling? You guys recognize that? Or like when your heart's about to beat out of your chest, maybe it's right before your wedding, and you're like, "This you side, this is a huge deal, what's about to happen, all that for you, this is what he's talking about, and here's what he's saying. Work out your salvation with awe and respect and with the excitement of, I can't even imagine what's about to happen. This is trembling, the trembling is the feeling of, I'm about to get out there. It's gonna be amazing. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I feel like this, we've really got a chance this year. This is just what it is. I know we haven't won in all three years of my, uh, my high school career, but I feel like this is the game. This is what he's saying. How do you work out your salvation? With the respect and awe of who God is, excuse me, and then you do it with the trembling and excitement of, yeah, but if this goes well, man, if this goes well. For many of us, we're not working out our salvation with that kind of anticipation and excitement, are we? It's out of obligation and responsibility. It's because it's what we've been taught good Christian boys and girls do. It's because that's what uh, your mom and dad made you do before you had breakfast. It's because that's what you did to earn your uh, Awana Awards and you get those jewels on your crown and your cubby vest. That's, this is why. You don't love it anymore. You're just doing it. Listen, we can do it with trembling, with excitement of man, what's about to happen out there. Make every effort. And he continues make every effort to supplement your faith. So, supplement here is that you add to. It's the same way that we take supplements, is to add to. These things, in and of themselves, aren't going to be a much benefit, but we supplement. So, to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue is moral excellence. You know what helps your faith? to be a good person. That helps your faith. You know what helps your faith? Is to be respectful and kind. That actually helps your faith. You know what helps your faith? To obey authority. You know what helps your faith? This is the idea of moral excellence. You're growing in moral excellence. And then you supplement your virtue with knowledge. Now this is the word gnosis, not epigenosis, but gnosis. This is the idea of experiential knowledge. Supplement your virtue, your, uh, your moral excellence with knowledge of who God is. Now, some of us today are really good people, but you don't know anything about the character of God other than what you've been taught in Sunday school. Supplement it. You wanna experience that, you wanna get back to Eden, you wanna get back to being created in the image of God, actually experiencing that flourishing, then here's what we have to do. We gotta supplement our faith with virtue and our virtue with knowledge. Verse six, and knowledge with self-control. Self-control is mastering one's emotions rather than being controlled by them. How's that going for you? You supplement your knowledge with self-control. Supplement your self-control with steadfastness. This word means perseverance because what good is self-control if it only lasts a week? You gotta persevere with self-control. Supplement your, your steadfastness, your perseverance with godliness. This godliness is the idea of, we call it well worship. This is when you bring the sanctifying presence of God into all experiences of life. What it means is, Um, today on the way home or today at Shane's or wherever else you go for lunch or uh, in your cubicle tomorrow or at your truck tomorrow, wherever you're doing. Godliness means that you bring the finished work of Jesus with you, that you see all things through that lens. It brings the sanctifying presence of God into all the experiences of life. Supplement steadfastness with godliness. Verse seven, supplement your godliness with brotherly affection. This is the Greek word phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. This is the idea. It's the love of belonging and friendship. You know what would help you in your walk with Jesus is to be a good friend to somebody. It's a good supplement to your faith. It's a good supplement to your godliness because in your godliness where you see Jesus everywhere, you see a friend, not just as someone that can serve you, but someone who's created in the image of God but you supplement your brotherly affection with love. This word love is the Greek word agape, which is godly, unconditional, active, persevering kind of love. Make every effort, Peter says. Do all that you can with all diligence to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And already we've tapped out, haven't we? Because that list is too long. I can't even do one thing. And keep adding things to me. But this is the journey of sanctification. You only know what you know when you know it. So today, where are you? And in five years, where will you be? And in 10 years, where will you be? Marathon and I will have been married 15 years next year. And the truth is, today I know how to love her better than I did 15 years ago. Now, I thought I knew how to love her 15 years ago. But as time has gone on, I've learned things. I've learned things about her. I've learned things about me. I've learned those types of things. We have to give ourselves some grace in this process of sanctification. And he says so in verse eight. If these qualities are yours and they are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You wanna know why you aren't growing in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because maybe these things aren't increasing. Maybe your moral excellence hasn't increased. And you might know a lot of things, but nobody wants to hang out with you. You might uh, be able to quote a lot of people and quote a lot of scripture, but the truth is you have no friends to show brotherly affection to. That's why you don't know the heart of Jesus. They've got to be increasing. Verse 9 whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So, what do we do? We remember the gospel, we preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Therefore, verse 10 brothers, be all the more diligent. To confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, your faith will never fail or fall. Let me just prove it. Let me just say it to you this way Prove your faith. James says it this way You show me your faith without your works, I'm gonna show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. Gosh, we can talk a good game, can't we? We can tell other people what to do all day long when it comes to us. And you wanna know why you're doubting and questioning your salvation all the time? It's because you're not growing in these things. So there's no evidence of it for you. You know what would help settle your conscience and settle your faith is if you actually practice the things you say you believe. You know what roots your security in Jesus Christ? Studying the word of God. Showing brotherly affection. Those types of things. Pursuing moral excellence, prove your faith. Then, verse 11 For in this way, there will be richly provided for you, or abundantly provided for you, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Saying, in this way, if you're doing these things, your entrance into heaven, your entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Jesus Christ will be like a choral anthem at the gates of heaven. So here's what this comes down to. It's your choice how you wanna handle this journey. It's up to you. And you can plod your way through it and you can, um, uh, you can struggle and crawl your way through it. You can pick and choose the things you want to do and still never find fulfillment this side of heaven. Or you can follow the way of Jesus and you can actually enjoy this journey totally up to you. I'm not saying there won't be suffering, but what I'm saying is in context and in light of scripture, even your suffering will be like Paul said, just a a blip on the radar. Just be a bump in the road on your journey to knowing Jesus. A number of years ago, um, Meredith's family is from Texas, and so we drove out to Texas. Uh, We were in Savannah at the time, had to come up to Atlanta to pick up her brother and make a drive out there. So all told, probably like 15 to 16 hour drive so we decided we would all run a 15-passenger van, um, all of us and, our, and children, uh, and we thought this would be a great idea to get in a van and drive 16 to 18 hours to Texas. What we thought was the best idea was to do it in the middle of the night. So that's what we're gonna do. And so we're gonna leave on a Sunday, we're gonna pick up Matt up here in Atlanta, we're gonna drive all the way to Dallas. And so um, what we prepared, right? You prepare to do those things. So the deal was, here's the deal. The deal was Meredith's dad, Dennis, would drive the first leg. Uh, I would drive a second leg and then Matt would drive, then we would rotate. So um, I'm in ministry at the time. Meredith's dad is in ministry at the time. We leave on a Sunday, which means we're working, right? Sunday's a busy day for us. We leave, we come up to Atlanta. Um, we're tired. Dennis, her dad, has driven up here. Um, we pick up Matt, um, who's done nothing all day long. Nothing. Uh, he went to church and then he did Nothing. So he did that he's like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. And so we did whatever we needed to there and we left and we're driving to Texas and um, then I drive and Matt's out in the, in the front seat. So we, I go off to get some gas. I'm like, all right, man, it's your turn to drive. It's like, cool, cool, cool. So he goes in, he gets some Red Bull and some Diet Dr. Pepper because he's healthy. And so he runs in to do that and uh, he fills himself up. He's like, I'm good to go, I'm good to go. I'm like, cool, I'm gonna sit up here, right? No lie, 15 minutes down the road, Matt pulls over. And he says, I'm just too tired to drive. I'm like, no, 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 you're not because that's not how this works. Meredith's dad's asleep in the back. I've got no backup, it's just me and my brother-in-law and he's a beast, I'm not gonna fight him. I'm like, all right, cool, I'll drive, fine. So I start to drive and at at that moment, my only task is to get us to Dallas, right? Like I, I don't care who I run over, I don't care. I'm just getting us there. I don't wanna be in the van anymore. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna be doing any of this ever again anymore. So I'm driving, Matt's there next to me, just bless his heart, so tired, falls asleep with a Red Bull in his hand. So he's asleep and I'm, I'm driving and we get to Shreveport, Louisiana and apparently there was construction. I didn't see any construction, but there was construction. So I, um, I just drove straight through the construction because I gotta get there, man. I'm just, I just... The destination is important to me at this point. I got, we've got to get there. In the middle of the night, um, I hit. I think I hit, maybe hit a, a barrel or something, and then we just hit some like construction, and we bounce. I mean, we're like, we're '90s hip hop bouncing. We're just we're there in the club and bouncing. And I look back, and Meredith's dad's feet are up in the air in the rearview mirror. He's stuck between two bench seats in a 15-passenger van. He's like, Jeremy, I don't know, man. Matt was driving. I don't know what just happened. So we're driving, and then um, I think at that point, Dennis was like, you know what, I'm, I'll drive from here. I got it. Uh, Matt didn't want to, but Dennis did. And so Dennis drives, uh, gets us there, and we pull into her grandparents' house. I just remember that feeling of like, just get me out of the van. <laughs> like, I just, I'm going inside. Um, but I helped unpack and get inside. And, but there was that feeling of like, I, I didn't enjoy anything that just happened. And because of that, I'm not even sure I enjoyed this. I just wanna be here. Well, here's the choice for you and for me when it comes to following Jesus, this journey of sanctification. You know you're allowed to enjoy the journey? Like, you know you can have a blast following Jesus. Do you understand that? Do you understand that you can be fulfilled on this side of heaven by the finished work of Jesus? He can make you whole and complete. He can restore what's been broken. You don't have to wait. It can happen now. My fear for many of us is we're just, I'm just gonna bide my time until I get there. I mean, that's fine. But there's something happening on this side for you, for the glory of God and for your good. And I don't want you to miss it. We can enjoy this journey, but you're not gonna enjoy it by MacGyvering your way into some kind of fulfillment. The only way to be made whole is through Jesus. The only way to be nourished and and feel complete It's by doing what he has called us to do. And there will be teaching that comes into your life that tells you it's all a crock and it's all a lie and it's just manipulation. It's just behavior modification. And I'm gonna tell you maybe, but that's not the way the Bible teaches it. You can actually love loving Jesus today. This is what he's saying. In this way, there's gonna be richly provided for you an entrance. It's gonna light up. You're like, I made it. This is amazing. This is amazing. Not tired and haggard from the journey, but just rested because you prepared for the journey. And this is what I thought it would be. This is beautiful. I can't believe I'm here. Man, this is amazing. And that's my hope for us as a church. You can enjoy this life or you can endure it. It's up to you. And I know the circumstances many of us are in. I'm not gonna change my point. You can enjoy it or you can endure it. Because even in the midst of your suffering, God is revealing more of himself to you that will settle your weary soul. I promise you it will. Because you were made for this. If you'll bow your heads, close your eyes, and I'll finish up. Some of us here today who are exhausted, and worn out, beaten down from the journey of life. And listen, we've tried everything the world has to offer to settle us and to satisfy the longings of our soul. And I just wanna ask you how that's going for you. And be honest about it. Not churchy. You were made for something more than what you're pursuing. And the beginning of that journey is through accepting the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It's understanding that eternity has been written into your heart. And so there's something inside of you that understands you've been broken like Adam and Eve and you want to be restored like you will be in the kingdom of heaven. There's something in the middle that just isn't making sense to you. I'm gonna tell you what makes sense to you, that the God who created you knows exactly what you need. And what you need to solve the brokenness in your heart is to receive the grace Of God through the finished work of Jesus. He paid for your sin. You don't have to earn it. And you can step into that journey today by admitting your need for a savior, believing that Jesus is that savior. You aren't, your mama isn't, your grandma isn't. Jesus is. And then confessing that he is Lord, that you would give your life over to him. But knowing our church, I think there's more of us today who would say, you know what, the problem for me is I haven't actually enjoyed any of this. I mean, I used to, but now it's just, I have to get up on Sundays. I have to go to small group. I have to get my kids here on Wednesday nights. And you've lost the joy of following Jesus. Can I invite you today into the journey of following Jesus that satisfies your soul? And there's a God who will stop at nothing to bring you into that wholeness and fulfillment. And if there's something in your life, he is a jealous God. If there's something in your life that's pulling you away from that, he will take it from you because he loves you. And that thing is clogging up the eternity-shaped hole in your heart. Is there anyone here today just in bold, raise your hand and say, yeah, I think I've lost the joy of the Lord. I don't enjoy this anymore. I want to. It's just a drudge. Praise the Lord for your honesty. God, we come to you today um, as a people who want to want to love you. Sometimes it's hard, and it's not hard because you aren't faithful. It's not hard because you aren't good and kind. It's hard because we chase other things. And sometimes the path to to what you've planned for us, of our flourishing, sometimes the path there takes longer than we want it to. And so God, I pray that you would supplement our faith with virtue and our virtue with knowledge. God, our knowledge with self-control and our self-control with perseverance today. God, I pray that we would be a loving people, that we would actually practice these things and then practicing them would come closer to your heart. I pray for joy in these people, a joy in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.